Chuck Ellis recently tweeted, Dear past self, why didn't you download the NPR One app sooner? Don't deprive yourself of audio bliss. Also, don't eat that cheeseburger. Thanks, Chuck. NPR One is ready to make commuting, waiting in line, or grilling a burger that much better. Find NPR One in your app store today. And now you can ask Alexa to play NPR One, too. Fun. Now, before we start, how's about you go review us in iTunes? Seriously, just go to iTunes and tell us what you think. It really helps other very attractive listeners, such as yourself, find the show. Thanks so much. Now, let's start the show. Winter is nearly over. And soon, if the world doesn't end, it will be summer. And summer is the time of swimming and sunbathing. I mean, unless you're really pale like me, in which case it's kind of a hard season. Anyway, it's also time for road trips. Oh, hey, Nicole, what's up? Hi, Lauren, how's it going? That's Nicole Washington. She's a pal of the show, and she's kind of a road trip queen. She once drove 13 hours just to see an art exhibit. Put on your seatbelt for safety, okay? All right. Do you want me to navigate? Nicole knows what's up when it comes to hitting the open road. First, it's all about the snacks. Ah, uh, Cool Ranch Doritos are important. <laughs> cool Ranch Doritos are always important. Uh, Reese's Pieces are always really good. It's, just, it's, it's really healthy food when you're on the road trip. It's like the worst combination of food Absolutely. slash the best. You can only eat it in the car, though. Like, you have to behave like an adult when you're outside of the car, but you can eat total trash while you're in the car and on the road trip. It's an important part of the experience. I'm Lauren Ober, and from WAMU and NPR, this is The Big Listen, the broadcast about podcasts. Each week on The Big Listen, we introduce you to podcasts you might not have ever heard of, and we give you the inside scoop on shows you already love. Now, our pal Nicole loves her road trip snacks. But you know what else is crucial for Nicole's road trips? Say it with me, friends. Podcasts. A second most important part after snacks. I'm glad that you're uh, a lady of a like mind. Absolutely. We're going to hear more from Nicole later in the show about which podcasts make the miles melt away. But first... All right, all right, all right. Ooh, that was a really good Matthew McConaughey. Comedian Phoebe Robinson has seen her star ascend over the past year. She wrote a New York Times bestselling book, and she's on the new Amazon series I Love Dick, and she's done stand-up on basically every late-night show. For our purposes, though, Phoebe is a podcaster. She co-hosts Two Dope Queens with Jessica Williams, and she helms the show So Many White Guys, which ironically features practically zero white guys. So many white guys. Each week, I go deep sea diving with some of my favorite people in pop culture. I'm talking to people of color, to women, to people in the LGBTQ plus community who are smart, funny, and gorgeous. This season... We find out what happens when we stop being polite and start getting real. Getting real. The real Phoebe world. Robinson, welcome to The Big Listen. Hi, how are you? Hi, we're doing okay. Probably not as good as you, though, because you're blowing up right now. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> I feel like, why are you why are you slumming it here when you just were on the Today Show? <laughs> you're like the slash, right? You're like the ultimate slash <laughs> right now, right? Because you're an author, you write for TV. I've never you're... been compared to slash. No, you are. Oh, the, like oh, I'm not the rock. I was like, how am I like slash? The no, I, I mean, I wish that you were like the slash, right? Like you had a top hat, and yeah. I couldn't see your eyes. <laughs> but you know, in terms of like, you're doing all the things. Mm-hmm. What is that journey been like? Because it's it's happened in a. It seems like a really short amount of time from when you were like, I'm gonna make this my full time gig. Yeah. Until now, when like you have a million things going on. Yeah, I started stand-up a little over eight years ago. So for me, I'm like, it feels like a long, long time. Mm -hmm. But then you were able to take your stand-up and make it into a podcast Mm -hmm. on Two Dope Queens with your your work wife, Mm -hmm. Jessica Williams. How did the idea for that show come about? Um, We met two years ago when I was doing background on The Daily Show. Uh, we just hit it off we never met but like we knew of each other because of improv backgrounds 
And just as we hung out, I asked her to do a podcast I was taping in my apartment. And I was like, it's really chill. <laughs> it's like not janky or anything. And then she was like, okay, I'll do it. And then we did it. And she mentioned that her birthday was coming up and she always wanted to do stand-up. And I said, just as a goof, just go host a show with me. It'll be fun. And she said, okay. And then as soon as she left, I accidentally deleted the podcast. I was like, all right, so it's a little jank. And then we just did the show and we had a really great time. And we just kind of riffed and goofed around. We really wanted to plan stuff out. And we just couldn't mm. because of our schedules. And so we're like, all right, well, I guess we'll just do this again. And so it was just very much like we just really hit it off and it really just worked. I was at the gym. I was worked out. And no I, braggies. Uh, <laughs> and then I, I called an Uber to take it home. Cause no I'm, braggies. Uh, I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to treat myself now. Like, I'm, I'm in my 30s. I'm going to appreciate right. myself. So I'm, I take Ubers home from the gym. Mm. Mm. I don't have any kids. I got money to waste. It's fine. Mm. Um, you ain't got no dependents. Yeah, no dependents. Nada. So uh, the, the guy... Uh, picks me up and he kind of looks like like bad Russian number four in a Liam Neeson movie sure. you know uh-huh. no lines but yeah. got the face so yeah, he's yeah, in yeah. you know yeah um, so uh, the gym is on like a one way street so I'm like trying to get into the car and there's this guy behind us just like honking his horn he's being like a total D-bag uh, being really rude I'm like I'm trying to get in I'm sorry so I jump in close the door and then the guy pulls up to our car and they are like driving and f- like yelling at each other at the same time uh-huh. and they're both they're both white just to recap and my cabbie goes to this guy he goes Ooh. what i know so what did you say i was very confused i'd never seen a white person call another white person that <laughs> So I was like, is this, <laughs> is this race? No, it is right. Is this racist? <laughs> is it so racist that it doubles back on itself and it's not racist exactly. anymore? Exactly. Now, the format of Two Dope Queens obviously seems very much in your wheelhouse mm-hmm. because it's a stand-up show. And I think you operate in the variety realm. Yeah, yeah, right? for sure. But then doing so many white guys mm-hmm. is different because that's you and a guest just straight interview. Yeah. So why why go a little off course? I always like just chatting with people. And when I was doing my podcast on my own out of my apartment, it was really just an excuse to interview comics that we we just never see each other because we're always busy. So I was like, well, I'll just do my podcast and we'll hang out for a couple hours. And it really worked. And so when WNYC asked me, they're like, you know, your book is coming out. Maybe we could do like a one-off thing. And I was like, well, maybe we could do like a short series mm-hmm. that would be between two seasons of Two Dope Queens. And it really worked out well because I think, you know, we have funny episodes, but we also have episodes like with Lizzo, which I think was amazing because I feel like a lot of times people act like rap stars don't have any substance or they're not smart. And she's very intelligent and woke and funny and sweet and has all these opinions and she's religious you grew up in a religious household yeah and then now you're doing rap and a lot of times people think that you can't rap and also yeah believe in god cream get the money and run it to the hills y'all stick into my pocket tired of the deals dog got my own label so like how do you like how like how did you make that transition and like do you ever think you would have like put more religion into your music? Because I mean, Chance the Rapper is doing that, yeah, and that's like working well for him. Well, the funny thing is, is well, first of all, I kept it a double. I kept it a secret. I mm-hmm. kept it away from like my Detroit family because they're the Pentecostal Kojic Church of God in Christ. Like they are the ones who were like, you can't listen to secular music. There's mm-hmm. certain movies you can't go and see. Um, and I remember moving down to Houston liberated us a little bit from religion. And but I felt so blessed because I had spirituality on lock. Like, um, but more importantly, the music in church is what really made me love going every Sunday. I was like the way that this choir makes you feel, the way that like somebody could just up, like when the pastor's doing a sermon, just start screaming and going to song and then my cousin will hop on the organ and then somebody will start running around. Like that is still music. So I felt Mm -hmm. like I could bring that energy on stage. Um, All of my shows are like 
church to me. I do reference a lot in my music. In December, my grandmother passed away, and I went to her funeral in Detroit, and my cousin Atlantis got on and was like, you know, he was like, I know this is a funeral, but we going to have church today. I can't help it. The Lord is so good. And he started telling this story, and, like, the band started, you know, my cousin started playing the drums and the organ, and he's singing in between the story about my grandmother and my great-grandmother and all of her aunties, my great-aunts. And so I was like, record, because, wow, wow this is amazing. Yeah. And then he looks at me, he's like, am I doing all right, Lizzo? Anyway, I, and he never calls me Lizzo. You know, they all call me Tip Jr. or Malila or whatever, you know, whatever country-ass name. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just, I was like, this is really, like, the universe. So I recorded it, and I wanted to use it on this record. I wanted, so I created, like, all these gospel interludes. And it is going to be on the record. I I just want y'all to know that I started this in December of last year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you sing us a little something? Oh, what you want me to sing? So there's like so many layers to her. And I just was noticing that anytime someone who wasn't like a straight white guy, they were kind of just being othered. We're mm-hmm. like, Janet Mock, let's just talk about you being trans all the time. And it's like, well, that's very important. She's a trans activist, but there's so many other layers to her that I want to explore too. Um, but you've been through through so much. You worked as an editor how did you, what were you thinking your, your future was going to be like when you just like first got your job at People and you were just crushing it? Like, what did you perceive for yourself? I saw myself being the features editor at a women's fashion magazine. Um, and then I worked at a fashion magazine as an intern and I said, I don't want to have to do nothing with any of these <laughs> um, I do not want to be here. I did yeah. not want to tape up boxes in the fashion closet. I, like, I, I, I did was like, that too as yeah. a camp. I had to like just pack makeup. Yeah, you basically work at UPS. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I'm not doing this. I don't, that's not like what I want to do. Um, and so for, that's what I saw for myself. And I think that for so long, what I did was that my training as a journalist was that I was very comfortable living and living and hiding behind the telling of other people's stories. Mm. I think a part of that was a survival tool, too. The sense of, like, I don't deserve to be the protagonist of this yeah. story. And it took a lot of unlearning work, right, to say that I'm worthy of writing myself into history, writing myself into a book, writing myself onto... So I think with this show, it was great to, you know, talk about these other things and not make them feel like a, a minority mm-hmm. on a show. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do like a little, you know, you and Jessica have done the I would, I wouldn't. Oh, cute. Um, but with radio men. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> I hear I hear from your voice that you don't actually think it's fun, but no, you're, it's going to be fun. I'm just wondering no, you're if I know would the... with any okay, of them. But, but okay, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Okay. Number one. Uh-huh. Tavis Smiley. Whose show you did? I know. He's so sweet. I feel, I felt familiar. Like right. fa- family with Right. Him. Phoebe Robinson is an actress, comedian, and podcaster whose new book about being black and female in America is called You Can't Touch My Hair. I love it. <laughs> and other things I still have to explain. <laughs> Phoebe, good to have you on the program. Thanks for having He's me. He's like your That's uncle, good. so you wouldn't date him. Yeah, I wouldn't date him. Okay. But we would totally like hang out and watch like football on Thanksgiving. Right. Thanksgiving. Right. Yeah. Okay, so Tavis, if you're listening, like, <laughs> invite Phoebe because she's looking for a place to go for Thanksgiving. <laughs> okay. All right. Howard Stern. Oh, gosh. You know, I think he's really funny. I think he's a great interviewer. I think... Let me point out this outfit you're wearing. I like it. I like it very much. Thank you. It's some outfit, <laughs> right? How do I describe this look? I this don't is know. A, the short shorts are fantastic. Thank you. I mean, you are so free with your body, right? I mean, you... I saw you on Saturday Night Live. I watched you. Thank you. It's tough for me because a lot of his stuff, especially in the early days, was super misogynistic. So right. it's really it, the feminist part of me is like, nah, dog. But like the other part of me is like, I bet it would be a, a fun, a fun fling. Yeah, you can have a fun date. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think it would be fun. I if think it would make me laugh. If a lot. he wasn't married. Yeah, yeah. This is all. Yeah, this is. Yeah, this is all in the abstract. As right. if none of these people had partners. <laughs> right. Okay. I want. <laughs> My last one on my list, but I don't even think I can ask it, is Terry Gross. (laughs) My guest Jonathan Safran Foer has written a new novel that revolves around fundamental questions like, what does it mean to live a good life? Is happiness the ultimate ambition? 
And what is happiness? I love her. Tara Tara, let's hang out. But she probably won't now because I call her Tara Tara. Right. And I've never met her, so I shouldn't nickname her already. But I would I would love, 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 love to go on many a date with her. Right. And they are going to ask me about like Mark Maron or like Alec Baldwin. And I was like, oh, you didn't. Okay. Switching it up. No, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to, you know. I, I mean, do you want me to ask you about Alec Baldwin? Sure. <laughs> this is Alec Baldwin. And you're listening to Here's the Thing, my chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers. Would you go on a date with Alec Baldwin, assuming that he was not married and had multiple children? Maybe I'm too open. I should have, yeah. I mean, you know what? Why limit yourself? You're a modern lady. I am. You don't have, no one, no one needs to draw a border around you. Yeah. I'll leave that to Trump with the borders. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we will leave it there. Yeah. Uh, Phoebe Robinson (laughs) of Two Dope Queens and so many white guys with multiple O's uh, and the author of You Can't Touch My Hair. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. This is a lovely studio. There's a lot of, Nice light. Don't. It's so dusty. It's. Dude, it's all radio studios are dusty, but I like the light. (laughs) Phoebe Robinson is the host of So Many White Guys and the co host of Two Dope Queens, both from WNYC Studios. To find out more about any of the things Phoebe has going on, check out our website, biglisten.org. Remember our road-tripping podcast listening pal, Nicole Washington, from the top of the show? For her, the best journeys are accompanied by snacks. Also podcasts. Lots of them. I did have a very memorable road trip where I listened to nothing but this podcast called The Read. And we're not talking two or three episodes. She was driving with her friend Ben from D.C. to Texas, and that's like 1,300 miles. We listened to the read the whole time, and we started back with the very first episode, which provided us with a lot of audio. <laughs> so it was great, even especially during Dallas traffic. That was, uh, that was my saving grace. That's, that's where the trip started to break down a little bit. I had some, some problems. Okay, so tell me why the read, why was the read your um, your go-to on this road trip? Well, Ben had never heard it before, and I had become very recently obsessed with it. And it's just like their pop culture bits are so funny. Uh, the listener letters are absolutely hilarious. And it's just like, it's just entertaining and made the time go by. And the episodes are always an hour long sometimes they venture into like hour and a half two hours so it's like a nice chunk of time we made progress like three episodes and we're almost to our destination (laughs) so how many episodes do you think that you listen to Um, like the entire back catalog or what i'm gonna say somewhere between 30 and 40 i think Oh, my God. That's at least 50 to 60 hours or more of just one show that Nicole mainlined on her trip. That's bonkers. Yeah, it was fantastic. I regret nothing. I would do it all over again immediately. It's time for a quick break. But when we come back, we'll hear from some of the pioneers of the gay rights movement about the struggles they faced. When there was absolutely no recourse and he couldn't figure out how to make a living, he decided he was right. The world was wrong. And no one was going to get in his way. And he won. That's coming up in a sec on The Big Listen. Stay tuned. This is NPR. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message comes from Blue Apron. Blue Apron partners with sustainable farms, fisheries, and ranchers to bring you all the ingredients you need to create incredible home-cooked meals That sounds delicious. The ingredients come paired with an easy-to-follow recipe card delivered to your door weekly in a refrigerated box. So basically, you really don't have to do anything but open the box and make the food. Rediscover how fun cooking can be while enjoying specialty ingredients and exploring new flavors and cuisines. Sounds great, right? Well... Get your first three Blue Apron meals free, plus free shipping by visiting blueapron.com slash big. Support for this podcast and the following message also comes from Chipotle. 
For 23 years, they've been committed to sourcing the best ingredients they can find, prepping them with care, and cooking them using simple recipes without the use of artificial flavors, colors, or sweeteners. Sounds good to me. They spend hours marinating, seasoning, and pampering the ingredients to perfection. Whether they're hand chopping, hand slicing, hand dicing, or hand mashing, the ingredients at Chipotle get the royal treatment every day. Hi, Lauren. This is Ann Bright in Lookout Mountain, Georgia. One of my favorite podcasts is Everything is Stories by Garrett Crow and Mike Martinez and Tyler Ray. It is an amazing storytelling podcast from some of the most unusual stories that you've ever heard. Episode 18 largely deals with the death chamber, so a warning because it explores issues that largely come from such a complicated place. My name is Michelle Lyons, and I am in Huntsville, Texas, where I was the spokesperson for the Texas prison system and where I witnessed some 280 executions carried out by the state. It's mesmerizing. They do a wonderful job. I enjoy your show. Thanks so much. Bye. Welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and I want to know where podcasts have taken you recently. Call us on our old-fashioned pod line and leave a voicemail just like the one you heard. The number is 202-885-POD1. Seriously, we need you on the radio. You might remember in the summer of 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court decided a landmark case called Obergefell v. Hodges. In question was whether same-sex couples had the right to get married. The ruling was five to four in favor of marriage equality. This morning, the Supreme Court recognized that the Constitution guarantees marriage equality. In doing so, they've reaffirmed that all Americans are entitled to the equal protection of the law. The decision was a major victory for gay civil rights in America. But it's a decision that never would have happened were it not for the people featured in the podcast Making Gay History. The show, hosted by journalist Eric Marcus, is a compilation of oral histories from the 80s and 90s of both prominent gay rights activists and ordinary LGBT people who fought for equality simply by being themselves. Eric Marcus, welcome to The Big Listen. Thank you, Lauren. Delighted to be on your show. All right. So I'm going to need you to explain what Making Gay History is because it's a little different than other podcasts out there or most other podcasts out there, I think. What we do with Making Gay History is that we we mine my audio archive. I've got an archive of 100 interviews that I did for an oral history book that was originally published in 1992. So back in the late 1980s through 1990, I went out across the country and interviewed people who were involved in some aspect of the LGBT civil rights movement, which at the time was called the gay civil rights movement. What I did when I first did the research for the book is I had to build a timeline um, of the gay civil rights movement. There was no such thing. One of the things that, 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 that shocked me when I first started my research was that I didn't know any of this. Um, I had thought that the gay rights movement began in 1969 with a, with a riot at a bar in New York City. I didn't know there was a movement that started 19 years before or that there was a movement in Germany in the 19th century that was wiped out by the Nazis. And I came across names of people along the way, people whose stories seemed interesting to me. And then I wrote to people and called people and they recommended someone here and someone there. All kinds of people, from Dear Abby, who's well-known, to Sylvia Rivera, a trans icon, um, to people who no one's ever heard of before, uh, or people who are long forgotten, like Edith Ide, who published the first uh, newsletter for lesbians in 1947. I'd read that Edith was well-known in the 50s for singing parodies of popular songs in Los Angeles gay clubs. She wrote her own lyrics as a protest against the demeaning jokes gay entertainers told for the benefit of straights. And if you can imagine, the straights would show up at the clubs in the evening to see how the other half lived, and they'd stand in the back. So I asked Edith if she could sing a few songs for me. So here she is, Edith Ide, live from the front porch of her Burbank bungalow. Yeah, I need to warm up a little bit. I should tune up a little bit first. Hello, young lovers, whatever you are, I hope 
your problems are few. All you cute butchers lined up at the bar, I've had a love like you. And the remarkable thing was that these people were still alive. They could tell their stories. Finding them was not easy um, because someone like Edith Ide, who was known as Lisa Ben, she went by Lisa Ben. You can't look up Lisa Ben in the phone book. It took twenty. It took twenty-four phone calls oh um, until I found her. <laughs> I mean, it's so easy to research this now by comparison, but in those days, so many of the people who were involved in the early movement used pseudonyms. So how do you track down someone who didn't use their real sure, name? Sure, for safety, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how did you how did you go about picking these folks? Um, because some of them are known, you know, that there are familiar names, obviously, Dear Abby. And if if people know about the Stonewall riots, Sylvia Rivera's name might be people might know Sylvia Rivera. Um, but a lot of these folks would sort of be lost to history were it not for hearing them on your tape. Yeah, um, they would. Even for the people we hear from in this podcast who are well known, we may know what their accomplishments were. We don't usually hear them. We don't hear their voices. We don't hear about their personal stories. They all had their own struggles. They, and they weren't just people who uh, did great things like Vito Russo, who, who co-founded ACT UP and co-founded GLAAD and wrote this extraordinary book. He was dying of AIDS when I interviewed him. And a lot of our discussion was about how lonely he was and how much he missed his boyfriend, Jeff, who had died of, uh, of AIDS before he did. Jeffrey was sick for a long time, a year and a half. I didn't know what to do to save him. You know, when you love somebody, you always feel like they're not going to die as long as you're with them, you know? I mean, if you stay with them and you take care of them, that they won't die. And I really felt like, you know, against all rational truth, I could save them. Jeffrey became, at the end, very unmanageable emotionally and psychologically. He was very difficult to live with. And I was sick myself. And so it became a constant battle of how much stress I could put myself under because taking you care of him because I was ill. The last time I saw Jeff, he was in a drawer at the morgue. And they opened it up and they showed me him and I spent a few minutes with him and I held his hand and said goodbye to him. And I miss him terribly. I mean, just terribly. He's been gone almost three years now and I'm still sick. And I'm very lonely. You know, it's hard to live yeah. alone and be sick alone and as many of your friends as you have, and I have good, loving friends and a great support system, people cannot be sick for you. There are people, probably most of the people in your collection, who who would never, no one would ever hear from. I'm thinking of Wendell Sayers. Parts in that interview that were, were so um, poignant that I, you know, it almost brought me to tears. What made Wendell so special um to me, was hearing the story of, of someone who grew up at a time when there wasn't even language for what he was. Do you remember what you, what you thought, how you realized you were different? Well, I knew I didn't care anything about girls. Everybody mm-hmm. else was chasing after girls, and I couldn't figure out why. <laughs> this didn't make sense to me, and still doesn't. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so you thought about, about killing yourself. I thought one time I just didn't want to go through life with this way, and uh, I didn't know other way to keep from it. Uh-huh. And I was just completely uh, down and out, so to speak. I gave up, practically. Finally, my dad came to me one day and told me what uh, he had heard, and whether he heard it, what, how he found it out, but somebody must have told him. What did your dad hear? He didn't tell me. He told me things. He told me that he had heard that I was not natural sexually. He said, "We'll go to uh, the Mayo Clinic, get your examinations, and see if we can find out what caused it, what to do about it." So he puts mother and I in the car, and we go up to uh, Minnesota. Minnesota. Okay. That was back in the days. Couldn't get a place to stay. You couldn't get a place to eat. Because you're black. Because you're black. So. What did you do? Buy crackers and bologna and in the store and take them out and eat them, stuff like that. Were you still in high school? Yes, I think I was still in high school. You must have been terrified. I was terrified. Now they've had me in the hospital for in and out for several days. 
Do they ask you questions? Oh, yes. All kinds of questions. They determined that that was homosexual and that there was nothing they could do about it. And um, final report from Mayo's was that um, according to their state laws that I should be, they should report me and have me incarcerated. Incarcerated? Yeah. For what? Because I was different. Put in jail? In jail. They said that since I was a, uh, a client of theirs, they would not do that. Anybody who has, uh, anybody, certainly anybody who's LGBT can understand what his struggle was like, but also anybody who's different, um, who feels out of place. Yeah. Um, now, um, had you ever done an oral history before? I mean, I know that that wasn't the, the sort of, that, that wasn't the end goal for you, but you ended up producing this work of oral history as well, this massive collection of, of tapes. Uh, no, I had never done oral history before. And, and I, I, I have thanked my 30-year-old self, actually my 29-year-old self. Um, so I used, I used high-quality tapes and I used high-quality equipment and wound up with these, these interviews that I could use three decades later for this, this podcast. Yeah, I mean, it really is amazing being able to hear, um, you know, folks in their in their own spaces, right? I mean, you you roll up to, you know, Abby Van Buren, dear yes. Abby, and and she's she's in her um, her hostess pajamas, and she's talking on the phone to some type of you know decorator or somebody who's like remodeling her house, and you know, and you're just sitting there politely waiting, and you you get all this tape, and it feels really. Um, it feels really intimate, I think. It And the experience of being there was intimate. I remember so vividly uh, visiting with dear Abby. And I sent Abby the introduction as a courtesy. I sent the introduction to the to her uh, her oral history for the book. And the only thing she changed from the introduction was she said, oh, please don't, don't say I was wearing pink fluffy slippers because they don't match my pajamas. <laughs> um, so I cut that. I cut that out. People invited me into their homes um, and uh, and onto their front porches, and they served me lunch. Um, although not everybody. I remember going to to meet with David Cope. He's the was the first professional football player to come out in the mid 1970s. Right. Um, I hadn't had lunch, and I'm thinking, please God, just offer me food. He had <laughs> he had a pizza on his counter, and and I could see there were still three pieces left in the box. Did I ask if I could have a piece of pizza? No. Um, so I died through his two and a half hour interview, just longing for that for that pizza. I didn't care who I was interviewing at that point. So now, you know, we're at a time where um, gay people aren't persecuted in the same way, right? Like, we all have our rights. We're fine. Um, and I say that, obviously, tongue firmly planted in cheek. Yes. But, um, but what then is there left to learn from from these oral histories, from hearing these people's voices and and from their stories? There are many uh, fights yet to be fought for equal rights, whether it's LGBT rights, women's rights, black civil rights, minority rights, immigrant rights. What we learn from the people I interviewed is that there's a way to do it. Um, And that even when the odds are against you, there is a roadmap. If you listen to the interview with Frank Kameny, who was fired from his government job in 1957 when there was absolutely no recourse and he couldn't figure out how to make a living, he decided he was right, the world was wrong, and no one was going to get in his way. Basically, what this amounted to was a declaration of war against me by my government. A, I don't grant my government uh, the right to declare war against me, and B, I tend not to lose my wars. I went through such appeal procedures as there were, which take you through the lower level of the uh, bureaucracy, and then uh, on the philosophy that ultimately the head of the executive branch of the government is the president, you go to the top. And I have always gone to the top on these things, so I worked my way right on up, without success, ultimately to uh, letters to the president. I, my feeling is that you always pursue things to their to final conclusion. He won. Um, he got the government to change its rules. It took 18 years. So mm-hmm. what these people offer us now, especially at a moment in our history where things are looking really bleak, um, we don't just have to sit back and say, we have to live with this. Um, we have to fight. And here are these people who fought at a time when nobody would have believed that change was possible. Thank you.
Eric Marcus is the journalist behind the podcast, Making Gay History, produced in collaboration with Pineapple Street Media. If you want to know more about the show, check out biglisten.org. It's time for another quick break, but when we come back, we'll hear from author Susan Orlean about her favorite things to cry about. Any movie, book, song where someone returns home and it's not the way it was. You know, it's either abandoned or changed or, oh, God, I can't, you know. That's coming up in a GIF here on The Big Listen. Stay put. This is NPR. Okay, you love podcasts, right? You're listening to a podcast right now. Do you think you have any friends, maybe family, maybe loved ones, anyone you care about who might also love podcasts? Well, then you should tell them. Don't keep it to yourself. You should let them know, hey, podcasts are out there and you might love them. And maybe you can go a step further and recommend specific shows to them. Maybe do it in real life or on social media, whatever. Just recommend some podcasts. And when you do, let us know about them. Use the hashtag tripod. That's T-R-Y pod. Get it? You're trying a pod. You're trying a podcast. So thanks for getting the word out about all the great shows that are out there. Hi there. Um, my name is Tyler St. Clair from Baltimore, Maryland, um, and I'd like to really recommend the uh, Futility Closet podcast. Um, it's run by Greg and Sharon Ross, and their podcast is a um, it's just a really interesting collection of unique and quirky history. Interesting things have happened to cities, like when they had to jack up the whole city of Chicago several feet. So what they would have to do here, crazy as it sounds today, is raise the grade of the whole thing so that water in this sewage system, the sewer system, would run off into the river or into Lake Michigan. It's just extremely interesting. It's heartwarming um, and exhaustively well-researched. So yeah, it would be wonderful to see them get a, a wider audience. Thank you so much. Hope you're having lovely days. Hey, pals. Welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and I am desperate to hear about your favorite podcast. So call us on the pod line and give us the scorching hot scoop. The number's 202-885-POD1. Seriously, you will regret it if you don't. All right. It's that time again, friends. It's listen up time. That's the part of the show where we grill some pretty cool folks about what podcasts they are into these days. And today, I am delighted to chat with one of my favorite authors and yours, Susan Orlean. She's the author of The Orchid Thief and, more recently, Rin Tin Tin, The Life and the Legend. But for our purposes, she's also the co-host of the podcast Crybabies, along with writer and actor Sarah Thayer. Welcome to Cry Babies. I'm Sarah Thayer. I'm Susan Orlean. And we're in New York City! The conceit of the show is that Susan and Sarah ask their guests to bring in things that make them cry. Songs, movie clips, really any kind of culture. And then they all discuss what was moving about each crying cue. Naturally, tears are shed. But they're the good kind of tears. The ones that feel like a tear duct cleansing. Susan Orlean, welcome to The Big Listen. Thank you. I'm happy to be listening with you. <laughs> okay, so your podcast that you host with uh, Sarah Thayer is called Cry Babies. When was the last time you openly weeped? Oh, I, you know what? I just saw La La Land, and even though it's mostly joyous and, you know, as all. All the reviews say it's this wonderful celebration of Los Angeles. It's actually, I found it very touching. Uh-huh. And and I got weepy at the end. Actually, I've been crying about a lot of movies this really? season. Yeah, I cried a lot at Moonlight. Oh, me too. Um, I was a puddle. I cried at Jackie because I thought it was so awful. Right. <laughs> 
Wait, the movie <laughs> the movie was awful or just like Jackie's life was awful? I thought the movie was awful. Um, and so, so I had that feeling. That's two hours of my life I'll never get back. But um, <laughs> so I've had a lot of tears lately and all of them have been very satisfying. Yeah. It's such a great concept, the idea of, you know, that you bring these guests on and they get to introduce things that move them to tears and you guys get to talk about, you know, movies and books and and songs and and things that that spark uh, the waterworks. I love it. It's so it's it's really clever. Oh, it's such a a wonderful. First of all, thank you. But one of the great things and a, a way in which this show is so so much in keeping with the other work I do is that I think often there's a a tiny portal through which the world opens up very large and it becomes a really interesting way of examining things to enter it through a very specific idea. Mm-hmm. We end up talking to guests about about so many things and it really ends up being about about their lives, about their past, about different experiences they've had, but coming at it with um, with this starting point. Um, I will admit I am a hideous crier. Uh, I mean, I'm not like full Claire Danes, like quivering chin, um, but I am pretty hideous a crier. Are you, how ugly of a crier are you? Or are you just like, do you, you know, are are you the the rare person who actually like looks decent when you cry? I look amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Oh my god, I I look like a lab rat when I'm. I mean, it's <laughs> awful. And I used to, you know, have that experience where I'd be having a fight with my boyfriend and crying, and every no- once in a while I'd somehow glance in a reflective circus surface. Yeah. And think, oh, God, yeah. I mean, this is awful. I've got to take a break and just put on a little makeup. And cause how can how can I possibly have any purchase in this argument if right. I look like this? Um, have you ever listened to a podcast that made you cry ever? Actually, I have. Um, I listened to Embedded, which... Um, I highly recommend, and uh, one in particular, which was about uh, opiate addicts um, talking about their lives, and it, it's a fantastic podcast, and it was, it was so sad. From April to July, I lost probably 35 pounds more. I mean, I would go four or five days without even a drink of water. All I could think about was using pills. I didn't care about hydration, nutrition, you know, none of that. So I lost quite a bit of weight, and the mugshot was definitely horror. And then for that to be plastered out there for the world to see, I was so humiliated on top of withdrawing and the depression from, oh, my God, look what you've done to your life, you know, look what you've lost. You have nothing to live for. So I cut my wrist in jail. I used my... um, my bra, the underwires in my bra, and managed to to break it to where it was sharp enough to use, and you can still see the scar. I listen to podcasts a lot when I'm running, and the combination of running and crying is not oh, ideal. No. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't recommend listening to sad podcasts God, while that's you're running. Awful. Hearing someone else cry, it's like yawning. It's contagious, mm-hmm. and hearing her cry. Then I started getting very tearful, and I thought, this is just not helping me run here. (laughs) No, it's I'm having an oxygen problem. Yeah. So what are the other things that you're listening to? Well, I'll tell you a few of my favorites. I love Song Exploder. Mm -hmm. Angel Olsen released her third album, My Woman, in September 2016. I just think it's terrific, and... It goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that sometimes it's so interesting to take a very small, specific thing and look at it deeply, Mm -hmm. and you end up learning about a lot more than that. Hi, I'm Angel Olson. 
This was the first song in a long time that I had spent a lot of time trying to write just like a simple guitar part for. I love Hidden Brain. Everywhere in life, at work, at school, at a sports game in a big stadium with thousands of other people, at home in the privacy of our own bedrooms, our behavior is constantly shaped by the judgments, norms, and actions of other people. My guilty pleasure is criminal. In 2010, Michael McIntosh's son was incarcerated at the Walnut Grove Youth Correctional Facility in the town of Walnut Grove, Mississippi. His son, who's named after him, had just turned 20. And on one Sunday, Michael went to visit his son and was told he could not see him because they didn't know where he was. Crime is a wonderful way into the human condition. So it's, a, it's again, a great organizing principle for looking at the world through one specific yeah. entry point. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been listening to the show with my son, which is fun, and my son is really into podcasts, which is great. Um, and we listen to a lot when we're doing family car trips. Uh-huh. Um, there's a show called Science Versus, mm-hmm. where the host takes a scientific assumption and then breaks it down to see whether it's actually true or not. On today's show, science versus organic food. Is it really better for you and for the environment? It's a r- very interesting and I and surprising and I think a good way to introduce my son to the idea that not everything that's presented as fact is fact and that it's worth sitting down and thinking through some of these assumptions that you that you hear. Well, uh, Susan Orlean, uh, co-host of Cry Babies from Earwolf, thanks so much for hanging out with us. It's been a blast. Oh, it's been fantastic. Thank you. Now go go cry a little. <laughs> I already did this morning. I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> oh, okay, great. <laughs> Susan Orlean is the co-host of Cry Babies from Earwolf, as well as the author of many books. To find out more about her show or any of the shows she recommended, go to biglisten.org. It's got the links. We've almost reached the end of this week's episode. No, no, it's true. We have. But before we let you go, it's time for C-H-A-R-T-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y. Chartography is our 60-second mapping of the iTunes charts. But we are not looking at number one or even number 100. We are looking at number 289, which seriously, out of hundreds of thousands of podcasts, it's pretty flipping great if you get to 289. So this week, hold on, let me find my, I wrote it down in a notebook. 289 this week is a show called Slumber Party with Allie and Georgia. Now, I don't know why it's called Slumber Party with Allie and Georgia, because I thought they would be in their pajamas and they'd be lying in a bed with a guest or something like that. Um, you know, or maybe they'd be wearing robes. I don't know. I didn't get the sense they were anywhere near a bed. However, it could be wrong. Um, but Allie and Georgia um, are Allie Ward and Georgia Hardstock, which is Hardstark. Georgia Hardstark, which is like kind of a great name. Um, and then they just started talking about things like um, they start the show by saying things that they um, they have a segment of things they learned this week. So things they learned this week, um, one of them learned what a limousine liberal was. Mass transit for everyone. And then they're like, uh, we take a limousine. That's hence the limousine liberal. And the other watched a rat documentary um, done by Morgan Spurlock. And apparently she learned about rat genitalia. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, Which I won't share with you here because it was disgusting. And it was about a 10 minute conversation. It's a very long episode. It's It's a very long show. And so I skipped through. So I like, didn't have an hour and a half to listen to them. But here are the topics that they covered in the time that I skipped through. Um, weed. So I heard from this like amazing weed expert. Skincare. It's chlorophyll. It's a green stuff in plants. Put it on your face, you guys. Dishwashing. You've seen what happens when there's a dish bin full of disgusting yeah. suds. Yes, yes. So it's a podcast with like, you know, two lady hosts and they have lady guests. And then they just like, you know, shoot the breeze and talk about whatever they want. Woo, it's a slumber party. Yay. Thank you. 
Want to listen to The Big Listen on the go? Well, you can. Just go to iTunes or NPR One or any fine purveyor of podcasts and hit subscribe. Then we'll be sliding into your feed every week and you won't even have to lift a finger. As always, we love us some listener feedback. Please like us on Facebook and or follow us on Twitter. We're at Here Big Listen. That's H-E-A-R, Big Listen. So follow us. We're huge. If you want to send love notes, we will not object. Our electronic mail address is biglisten at wamu.org. A special welcome to our pals at WUCX in University Center, Michigan. Fun fact, they're right in between the thumb and the index finger of Michigan's mitten. We are so thrilled to have you in the Big Listen crew. The show today was produced, mixed, and edited by Jacob Fenston and Ponce Rutch. I, Lauren Ober, was still hibernating. <laughs> David Schulman composed the theme music. Other music in the show came from Army Navy, the band, not the store. The Big Listen is the brainchild of boss lady Andy McDaniel and her boss man, J.J. Yore, and is produced by WAMU and distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., capital of America. And now a final thought from our traveling pal, Nicole Washington, about the sweet, sweet marriage of podcasts and road trips. Why are podcasts a good companion for you when you're when you're road tripping, when you're heading out of town? Uh, I don't really laugh a lot when I listen to music. I mean, sometimes I'll listen to music and like sing really loud to keep myself awake. But with the podcast, it's nice because they're engaging. And so I'm thinking about what they're saying and I'm laughing. And it's just like, I feel like I'm more alert and it makes the time go by faster. Well, wherever you find yourself traveling, we wish you journey mercies. Buckle your seatbelt and don't text and drive. Till next time, keep listening, America. This is NPR. Hmm, it looks like you're still here. Well, since you're here, you might as well make yourself useful and go to iTunes and give us a little review. It really helps other very attractive listeners such as yourselves find the show. So, again, go to iTunes, review us, and help other people find us. Thanks so much.